As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the, in the Oval Office in the United States Capitol, guess what? You know who founded and designed and built the White House? An Irishman. An Irish, no, not, not a joke. Not a joke. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. So... I know what this has done. <laughs> this has thrown us off the rails entirely yes. right from the stop. Right from the start. Ethan Migora. <laughs> the guy's family is English. His middle name is French, and he's pretending to be Irish. <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that he said the Oval Office is in the United States Capitol. No, he said. He, he said his office is in the Oval Office, is in the Capitol. So it's like, you know, one of those like Russian dolls of offices. It's a nesting doll. <laughs> and he designed it in the, by an Irish. And then like it's silence. They're like, wait, is he just like, yeah, he really has lost? He's like, I'm not joking, folks. And everyone's like, well, maybe he has lost. He's like, no, it was designed by an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny boy, exactly. the pipes, the pipes are calling. I eat nothing but shepherd's pie every day. Not a joke. <laughs> Potatoes. I got 17 kids. Oh, my gosh. I love it. But welcome back to a high-energy, ruthless variety program here on a good Thursday. Fellas, it's been a week. Yeah, been I mean, a week. It, there's a, there's certainly a lot to talk about. There's plenty to talk about uh, here on the Ruthless Variety program, and we're getting back into session next week, so we'll have a, more guests here. <clears throat> Presidential campaign is heating up, which we will discuss fulsomely here on the program, and we've got some other stuff for you, too. Uh, but we always like to start our Thursdays with some five stars, huh? Yes. Uh, should we go to the voice on this first one? Yes. Okay. Okay, uh, here we are, 2 minutes, 38 seconds. The voice is pulling up his <laughs> script. He's <laughs> buying time. Hold, hold on, hold on. Before we get into that, I think this is some good color for the fans. Never go to lunch with John Ashbrook. <laughs> Wait, why? Because when the waiter comes over and says, you guys ready for lunch? Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the guy who looks at the menu and he's like, let me get the... Uh, the old... Uh, the old... Uh, uh, is there... Uh, it's like, what were you doing the past yeah. 10 minutes? What were you doing the past 10 minutes? You already brought us drinks. You and, had more time. And, and smug to my point, here we find ourselves. <laughs> here we are. Okay. Here we are. It, it, like, heaven forbid we have a script in front of us that we are actually following. What are we doing here, Smash? Are okay, we gonna I'm do gonna, our I'm jobs. Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna look past this the uh, this hate, <laughs> and I'm gonna do my job. Okay, I'm gonna do my job. Okay, well I'm waiting for it. Still Biden time. Here we Still go. Still Biden time. This is from Thirty Foot Smurf, titled "It's So Good." Thirty Foot Smurf writes, "This is the best podcast in the history of." Ever. Oh, I love that start. 
I thought it was amazing for the years. So I've been listening. Yes, another convert from seeing you all on Megyn Kelly. But I swear it just keeps getting better and better. Yes. I absolutely love the long-form interviews and, of course, the shenanigans that make the fellas the fellas. Shenanigans. Mm. Mm-hmm. More Irish. We do some shenanigans. <laughs> we do. Shenanigans! <laughs> Hack Madness was delightful this year, but I'm ready to get back to King of the Hill. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and update on that. Next week, you will get your first King of the Hill uh, since before since Hack, Hack Madness. Madness. Yeah. yeah. He continues, uh, having Wesley Hunt in studio is the best episode. Uh, Wesley for president, just shut up and take my vote. (laughs) (laughs) I swear I get to the point where I hate and distrust all politicians, and then I listen to the fellas and the in-depth interviews from Republicans all over the country, and my faith is instantly restored. Great. (laughs) Apparently there are still politicians who actually serve people instead of simply being dishonest. Douche canoes. Douche <laughs> canoe is one of the underutilized <laughs> phrase out there. Yeah. Very weird, he writes. Not that I want Ashbrook to leave or anything. <laughs> the voice is amazeballs. But Duncan's childlike excitement over the misuse and overuse of the board was hilarious <laughs> last week. You did get some nice reviews on your board work. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> My vote is that we kick up the action on the old soundboard, fellas. Thanks for being the light in the dark. Also, I fully support the fellas traveling to Montana and doing a live show there. I will travel, too. Oh, nice. nice. Side note, I'm in Idaho, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump further if you're already in Montana. We not only have constitutional open and concealed carry here, so basically everybody's armed, but we have so many things of the animal variety to kill. <laughs> There's something to shoot pretty much year-round, and the fishing is epic. Come on over and kill things. I fully support that. I yeah. love that. I fully Thank support you. that. I, I mean, last time that. I was in Idaho, uh, I was. this is like I need to be heading to the airport, and it's snowing outside, and I'm still at the lake fishing. I yeah. mean, it's, it's like, you know, God's favorite place on earth. It's gorgeous. It is absolutely I think gorgeous. that should be like the state uh, motto. Of Idaho or Montana. Come on over and kill things? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're going to get a lot of pushback from the elected leaders. No. Interestingly, it has the same motto as Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. uh, Lucky day. Smug, you want it? So this is from Warner Dong. Lucky day. Wait, hold on. Hold (laughs) on. Hold on, hold on. Let me take a clue. It's not uh, Werner Dong. Werner... Wiener dong. Wiener, okay, wiener dong. Wiener dong, which is, you know, he's oh, left. Oh, it's wiener dong. Wiener dong. Okay. Man, our, our listeners are Yeah, the well, best. I mean, he's left a little something to imagination Just there. the best. <laughs> uh, have been listening for a few months now, and I'm happy when I can listen to you guys as I get ready in the morning, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but this Thursday was a jackpot when he guested on Megan Kelly's podcast to bookend my day. I could feel smug blushing when Megan called him handsome with that. <laughs> I felt that too. Yeah, it was wiener blushing. dong. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> I found the sponsoring of Dylan Mulvaney by Nike especially offensive this week when, as you discussed, the women's NCAA final garnered unprecedented viewership and somehow neither Angel Reese nor Caitlin Clark were targeted as Nike ambassadors. That's a, that's a, what a point. great point. Yeah. I try to keep my chin up as a conservative these days by listening to you guys and hope with your guidance the party can chalk up a few victories in upcoming election cycles. 
So happy to find you guys, and I tell everyone I know. Thank you That's so much. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And the listeners probably don't know this, but Wiener Dong is actually an esteemed science, scientist at PNAS. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and also, thank you to Megan Kelly. Like, we have so many folks write in that they've discovered us from our appearance there. It's, I mean, you know, it's always great to hear. I oh, know it's so good. All right, uh, Dunkerunk. Uh, this is from Fridge Twenty Four. Beverages and Bad Takes is the title. Mm-hmm. As an American, hearing the sound of a freshly fresh cracked beverage, not Transweiser Bush. <laughs> Transweiser Bush. <laughs> Along with Biden's third grade reading level bad takes is what drags me out of bed twice a week. The other five days, I pray for another episode where Duncan will control the board. Oh, <laughs> oh man. People loved it. How do you feel about that, man? <laughs> uh, you know what? You know, I do have some thoughts on this. I think Michael does an excellent job at controlling the board, so I encourage him to do that. And then what I'd, I'd also encourage him to do is put the show together on a routine <laughs> basis after it's over. And I, I don't think anybody puts a show together be- better than the old man. And so I think it's a great idea. He's over there shirking his responsibilities. <laughs> Me? No. Smash. No, I'm not shirking. The audience wants it. They're asking for Michael to do those things. <laughs> well, look, I, I mean, there's, I don't want to be against the audience. Like, there's people who put together the episode, and then there's people who are like Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Liar. The, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Stop. They wanted the soundboard. Got it. Like Mozart, the director of the entire artiste direction of the show. Racist. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to be hearing more of that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, at least we light a fire under his ass a little. Uh, yeah. But yeah, okay. All right. Continuing here, uh, this show will give you the facts about what is truly going on around the world while helping you fend off cocaine bears, murder turkeys, and baboons on your Sunday stroll. Yeah. Maybe one day we will have the opportunity of smug asking Karine Jean Pierre questions in the White House. So she can lie to his face directly. Wouldn't that be something? I guarantee she wouldn't call me. No. <laughs> Not happening. You'd be like that African dude. Yeah. yeah. Who's like, what's wrong with you? Getting shouted down by the press corps. The podcast is a must listen to any to anyone right of of or left unless you are easily offended. Lib. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Oh, I love that. And gentlemen's so courteous, too. I don't feel like we're <laughs> surrounded by any of that. Um, all right. So let's get into this because I feel like. There was some news here at the end of the week that, in my humble opinion, has grave consequences. We've talked about this on the show. We talked about it with Wesley Hunt. We've talked about it with an enormous number of members, particularly those who are on energy committees or things like that, about what this administration is trying to do. And, like, look, this is a little bit of a nuts and bolts thing, but you need this education Mm -hmm. because this stuff is, is sort of important. You may have seen that Biden rolled out to the Washington Post uh, his intention to, quote, remake the U.S. auto industry with toughest emissions limits ever. Okay. So um, right away you're saying, like, this is the same dude that shut down the XL pipeline day one. Like, they're just capitulating to environmentalists over and over again, despite whatever in- is in the best interest of our country, clearly. Because if you look at it at, at the outset, what is the great advantage that we have over the world? It's a couple things. I mean, one, we've got an incredible population that is more efficient, more effective than, you know, the whole rest of the world combined. We have uh, control of our own food supply, right? 
And we also have an incredible amount of domestic energy. Mm -hmm. These dudes, with one foul swoop, are trying to eliminate maybe the biggest. And you ask Germany how they feel about this. Yeah. Our biggest advantage globally with emissions by basically mandating that we get into electric cars. Right, because that's what this means when they're talking about emissions stuff. Right, they're not talking about like, oh, we're just going to have higher functioning engines. Right, it, it says here in the article from the post, so this is not just being made up. This is, it is truly this extreme. It says uh, the most uh, aggressive of several options the EPA will consider could lead to sixty-seven percent of all new passenger car and light-duty truck sales being electric by twenty thirty-two, mandating essentially that everyone buys an electric car. <laughs> so, which is i mean it's insane if you can get over the fact that most people can't afford electric car and if you can get over the fact that we have zero infrastructure currently to get electric cars around this country on the batteries that are currently invented if you can get over all that consider the fact that we will also simultaneously in this country have a department of interior that is stopping any mining that could potentially help replace the mining controlled exclusively by the Chinese to formulate the batteries for said electric cars. Yep. Right? So you, you can't, there's been several mines. We had Zinke on, mm-hmm. uh, was it last week? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. he was talking about this, where he said he was asking them, very Deb Hovel and whatever her name is, he was asking her very specifically, like, why would you shut down these mines? Right. If these are, and, and they, like, have no answer for it whatsoever. So what they're doing is mandating that you go away from the one thing that we have an advantage over the rest of the world with and are exclusively reliant upon the one country, the one place on earth that has the potential and the interest in causing the most harm to the United States. I think, like, you, you know, that's such a huge point and one that I think has been overlooked tremendously is, like, the rare earths, the mining for materials that China is essentially trying to create, like, vassal nations around the world. They they had this Belt and Road Initiative, which was basically trying to, you know, uh, tell various countries that, hey, you know, we're going to give you a lot of money. We'll build you a stadium. Particularly places like in Africa. Across Africa. They're like, all you have to do is let us have your mines. And so they have an exclusive control over the rare earth supply. And And remember, they're the ones that also moved in when we abandoned Bagram. Yep. To move into to mine for mineral rights in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. I saw saw a documentary about a month ago. I was telling you about this, Duncan, where uh, there was this guy who travels to to Baghdad. And he's like, every restaurant, every hotel I go to. I see businessmen from China showing up. Yeah. Like all the work that was done in, in building We did Iraq, all of the work. And, and now there, China's coming in to get all the minerals. Have, and, you, have you guys ever heard about, heard Joe Biden brag about his relationship with uh, Xi? Oh, yeah. Listen, listen to this. As I was with Xi Jinping, I spent more time with him than any world leader has over the last 10 years. And over, they keep a meticulous count, as the former T-shirt will know. And uh, over now, uh, 87 hours worth. And I was in the Tibetan Plateau with him. I traveled 17,000 miles with him in China. Over- well, <laughs> listen, I don't know how he doesn't have a great relationship with Xi Jinping. If you were Xi Jinping... And you look at the United States and what he's come up with with a domestic energy plan, 
if you decided you were going to invade America, you couldn't do any better than this. Mm-hmm. You literally couldn't do any better than this. Let's make the entire commerce of the United States of America exclusively reliant on us. On us. I just love that he talks about she like it's his best friend from summer camp. And, and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that like we're best pals. We went fishing together. We were on a rowboat. Most hours. And, and 87 hours. And there's there's a very you know obvious reason for all of that as you know we learned the U.S. Treasury Department put out a report saying that multiple members of the Biden family received millions of dollars wired in from China. Right. Okay. So I think that'd be a great friend too. You know, if someone's wiring millions of dollars to various his daughter-in-law. Well, the, why is his daughter-in-law getting millions wired? It's also the great irony of this is the EPA ostensibly cares about you know carbon emissions right and like that's yeah. the whole purpose of this well rule, that's the, this regulation that's the way they couch this <clears throat> right so we're going to outsource all of our ener- energy capacity to china the number one carbon Pol- emitter in the world yeah that, it, like explain to me the logic of that and it goes back to the thing that i said like a couple of weeks ago on the show where it's like i think this is the grand conspiracy theory right where it's like we outsource all of our domestic energy capacity to the country that's actually doing all of the emissions in hopes that they change. And, again, and that and that and the liberals really think that that's the solution. And that's the constant theme you see here, especially with this, is you can't, you know, electric cars are essentially the most expensive segment of, of, of automobiles that you can purchase right now. They, in in uh, polling, it showed the only demographic in the U.S. that's interested in saying that, like, my next car I purchase will be an electric vehicle is people who make over $100,000 a year. Right. Right. So... This, uh, you know, policy is essentially punishing working class Americans. Right. The people who are roughnecks who are actually like working out there in in the oil and gas industry. And instead, like the people that drive Teslas uh, get a tax rebate. And and who, who, (laughs) you know, they take like John Kerry, they, they have got their private jets. They'll go to Davos and they'll demand all Americans tighten the belt. China gets a pass. Right. China, the number one emitter. Right. Right. Gets a pass. But it's the American people who have to bear the cost of this and specifically the working class people. Right. Because, hey, you know, in the center center of the country. I mean, the other thing I like, maybe you can do this, but I find it highly doubtful that you could drive from like Lincoln, Nebraska, through the entirety of Nebraska into Colorado on one battery. Right. And it's hard for me to believe that Kearney, Nebraska has a whole bunch of like electric power stations right so it forces then also people or like these ridiculous taxpayer funded operations to build infrastructure to support the chinese government yeah Yeah, i mean that's literally like i don't understand how this is a how have we gotten the reason they they couch the thing around emissions is they want it to be an environmental discussion. Mm -hmm. If it's an economic discussion, if it's a national security discussion, or if it's any other component of governing this country, you're like, wow, that is insane. Right. If if emissions were actually their concern, they would tell their donors to curb the private jet use. (laughs) Think about the number of libs who fly all over this planet in their private jets and think about the 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 amount of emissions that those pump into the atmosphere it's much more than my one little car and they're telling me that i am not allowed to turn over the engine on my car that i have relied on for a, a long time and that i actually like to hear i like to hear the engine on my car i like to know that it's there and and it is inf- infinitesimally smaller 
than the amount of pollution that these liberal jets put in the air, and yet they don't want me to have my car, well, well, but their their donors it. can have their jets. You can't you can't get a straw. You you, you go to a place to eat. They can't give you a straw. <laughs> But these folks who, who are putting those policies in place have their private jets. They, you know, like we're, we're, why is it that American people are being put in these ridiculous, like policies that we have to suffer through? Well, that, that while the liberal donor class, this who, is who's <clears throat> responsible for more pollution than the rest of the country combined. This is the classic, like psyop of the neoliberal elite, is that the burden of all of this need to be borne out on you, the individual, Mm -hmm. and your carbon footprint. When the reality is, of course, yours is very small, especially compared to the liberal billionaires who fund the campaigns, the people telling you you have to have a paper straw, right? And is precipitously declining every year. Precipitously declining. It's committing economic suicide. That's That's what it is. And and, and we aren't the only ones doing it. I don't know if you guys saw the story from the Associated Press just, just today that Germany is... Uh, going to shut down its last three nuclear power plants Insane. Dur- during during this entire time in which they're in an energy crisis in that country. And and they've been trying to delay this. People have been up in arms being they like, how is this possible? They were giving us lip about the pipeline right. in Russia. Right. Meanwhile, they're shutting down the nuclear power plants? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Be- for what? That's the cleanest kind of power you got. It no, is. no, it doesn't work. Got to commit suicide. Oh, got to commit God. suicide to I mean, make she a how, bunch of money. Dude, this is how... I mean, literally, this is how... You end up with a new superpower that's basically right. done nothing. No, we, we other we, than <laughs> sit on their hands and been like, let's just make sure we keep doing what we're doing because the rest of these guys are just handing us their. We their we, back. we commit suicide in our country. We roll out the red carpet for them in Afghanistan to take over mineral rights. They control the African mineral rights that go into the batteries that then we're going to buy for them and the solar panels that they sell to us. Our I feel like I'm taking fucking crazy and, pills. And, and here's the How thing. is this real? And here's the and they control the algorithm for TikTok to tell all the kids. Here's why you need to get rid of electric cars. Here's why you're all, you know, sinners and polluters and why your country needs to commit economic suicide. Right. Captain Planet says America is bad. Therefore, you should hate your country and you should support Europe and China over America. Like it's it's the most outrageous indoctrination of kids that you've ever seen in any point in world history it is time for us to just start and then biden Biden takes these kids in this chinese spyware app and gives them their own press room in the white house yeah a press room that taxpayers are paying for well yeah because you know what let's let china have their because you could never convince anybody with half a brain to buy this bullshit right i mean you have to either be totally ideologically blind or just dumb as a box of rocks because there's no other way that what we just explained makes any any sense in the world. I will say I have a touch of hope. Mm. And it's for the same reason that you see like, you know, Bud, Bud's, Bud Light's market share plummet this week. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you like the sound of your car. It's, it's a simple pleasure. Do you, you know, think, simple people. Do you think your average American across this country is going to give up their love of classic cars? I just, because that's I what this is. If if this were to happen, if what he's talking about were to happen, it would mean no more classic cars. It would mean no more, you know, 57 Chevys. Right. It and would mean no more Corvettes. I mean, you're starting to see that in California. Nobody wants nobody. These most ri- the most ridiculous emissions laws that led to their the crisis that they had uh, uh, with the supply chain because of their emission laws made it so that truckers had a problem with going to docks and, and picking things up. Like, that's an example of an economy trying to commit suicide. 
Do you want to know where this is like the real turn, though? It's mm. in this next story from the Washington Examiner. Mm. EV push threatens to strain power grids and threaten reliability. Of course, of course it does. Right? Of course it does. The Biden administration's push for widespread electric vehicle adoption threatens to place significant strain on aging power grids, threatening capacity during hours of peak demand, and raising the risk of blackouts. Um, well, no shit. But even further, even further, how do we get those power grids? I know you love to plug it into the magic wall and the magic wall makes the car run it comes from unicorn farts is that that, that's how we power it i've been reliably told yes but but how do they think i mean it's all it's natural gas you got some wind and solar in places that have wind and solar uh and you've got coal bingo and like that's how that shit runs so it's not like you can just charge nothing like i they haven't figured out even the basic technology to execute the plan. Even if they're just solely reliant on China to be able to make their plan work, our own shit doesn't even cover that. Like, we can't even do that. Biden's like, I got this. We just import the coal from China. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally. I'm not kidding. That's going to be it's, the real thing. It is. They're going to take the clean coal that we've developed over the last 20 years, throw it out the window and ban it, right. and then go get the dirty coal from China and India and import that to run our power grid, to power our electric cars, and look at each other and be like, aren't we green? And, 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 and the coal that is developed in the, in the U.S. is with all these you know uh, policies in place to prevent pollution or contamination. And that's why it's called clean coal, because it is executed in the best way possible for the environment, right. as opposed to China, where they're like, fuck it, strip mine it. Right, right. And by the way, these they're not giving these electric cars away. No, they're very, very expensive, and they've turned into a status symbol among leftists who just want a virtue signal toward normal middle class people who are out there driving their Toyota Highlander, and they're like, "Okay, well, I'm sorry, that's what I can afford." And the leftist is like, "Well, that is a polluting our environment. You're a terrible person." They're like, "I'm just trying to go to work, man. I don't know what you're can, talking." Can I about. say something tangential? Y'all seen those Rivian trucks? Yeah. They look fucking stupid, dude. Like, the headlight on the thing is the most ridiculous, cartoonish-looking car that, like, the only person who'd want to be seen driving that thing is someone who wants to pat themselves on the back, like, I'm doing my part. Yeah, you're right, dude. Like... You're right. It looks ridiculous. I almost want to crash into it if I ever see it. (laughs) Like, I'll get... You know, Ford made that uh, F-150 that's electric. Okay, it looks cool. Yeah. I'll give them that. You know, you got a spare trunk in the front, fine. But the Rivian looks ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, dude, we had Barack Obama was president for eight years. You're telling me that he didn't do enough on vehicles. He didn't do enough on cafe standards and on on pollution. Obama didn't do enough. And we're talking about buying cars after Obama. And all we want to do is just have a truck that runs on gas. Give me a break. Can't we just have a normal car that runs on normal gas and, like, there's so but, much but technology, you know but, but billions of dollars invested into trying to make them less pollution. Here's the thing, Smash. I'd even be fine with that entire thing if it was like, we're not going to use gas anymore. No problem. No problem. But you better make damn sure that whatever it does run on, we do here in the United yep. States. Well, Just from a right? basic national security from standpoint. From a basic national... I mean, look at Germany. Look at them. Like, I don't understand... What, we keep watching all like a failed city in San Francisco and then trying to adopt their crime rules. 
You know, you look at a, a failed country in Germany and we're like, yeah, we want that energy plan. And I mean, it's I mean, not it's not like this is point. this is some kind of like fantastical idea. Under Trump, for the first time in our lifetimes, the U.S. was a net exporter of yeah. energy. This country can handle and take care of itself. There's no need to cripple it, which is exactly the point of the yeah. Policies. I mean, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like we, we all live in the same planet. You can't tell me that the three trillion rickshaws running against in, in <laughs> India are like running on fuel efficient, you know, like environmentally safe fuel. You know, well, rickshaw's like, been known to be very efficient. Yeah, yeah but like yeah, the, it runs I, on human power. <laughs> I mean, they're not they're not put they're not with Obama's cafe. But they standard. fart. Yeah, the methane. They fart. The methane, yeah. Yeah, so we got to get rid of that too. Yeah. So, but it's all relevant because, you know, according to CNBC, with inflation stubbornly high, 58% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So, and that's where this whole thing comes back yeah. in, right? If you can get comfortable with economic suicide, if you can get comfortable with the fact that these things are not going to run anywhere near where you needed to go with the infrastructure here, and if you can get comfortable with the fact that you might actually increase pollution by trying to power these things through the electric grid and you get blackouts in the process. If all that's okay, still can't afford the motherfucker. I, I'm going to yeah. tell you right now, like it gets clear by the day that there's not a single person in the Biden administration who's ever worked an hourly wage, who's ever had to like come home after a long day of work and figure out how you're going to make ends meet because these kind of policies that they put in place and they're completely ignoring a situation where 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Right. It says 70 percent of Americans are feeling financially stressed and but they keep pouring it on. They're like, oh, everything's going great. Everything's perfect. And they, they literally say what you just said. They yeah. literally say everything is great. And you hear every time you hear a Democrat on air, what the first thing they'll say is, well, the American economy is incredibly resilient. Yeah. Yes. Resilient from you. You sons of bitches. Right. Like, you're the reason why we have to be resilient. Yeah. We would actually be totally fine. In fact, we were totally fine. I mean, think about the lives. Until you all showed up. Think about the lives of of, of the leaders over on the left. Is you have AOC who goes to that, like, uh, you know, the ball gown that Vogue puts together. Yeah. Met Gala. Right? Met Gala. Like, they they are completely indifferent to what the working class in this country is going through when they say, we're going to mandate everyone buys an electric car. We see here that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Now's the time to make gas more expensive for everybody because of our policies of just getting rid of U.S. energy independence. We're going to uh, uh, have it says right here that 70% of Americans admit to being stressed about their personal finances. 52% of U.S. adults said their financial stress has increased since before COVID. Dude, just Things wait. have gotten that the, the, bad the problem that is, quickly. The, the problem is Democrats think they're better than the working class. They view themselves right. as above people who are working for a living and driving a car that they can afford. Democrats look at them and they say, we need to change their behavior, not we need to improve their lives. And it, it was it, the shift. It was the shift within the Democratic Party that happened during Obama. Yeah, basically. Which went from a working class union party to an ideological cultural party where they became, they started adopting just wacko views about cultural America and what they thought was, you know, permissive. And then their economic agenda followed what their economic agenda was before, which is like, you can't do basic math. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that then they adopted the whole environmentalist stuff that gobbled up that, and so their basic inability to do basic math has now 
clashed with their their cultural agenda. They're gonna they're, and everything is just completely insane. They're gonna force everyone to get these electric cars. They're gonna build all these power uh, charging stations, right? I mean, boy, if you thought 14 days to slow the spread was great, <laughs> uh, wait until you hear 14 days to lighten the load on the grid. <laughs> you know, and they're going to be like, no one can go to work. No one can go to work. Sorry, guys. The grid's overloaded. Stay home. I know you working class people have to drive somewhere for a living and do work with your hands. But like, you know, that's not on me. I have Zoom. <laughs> no, the fun, so I've got Zoom. I, I saw this article. Uh, I think it was CNBC reporting this. Of there's a guy who is uh, an Uber driver in San Francisco, and he drives a pre, one of these electric cars. Yeah. And the catalytic converter got stolen from it because, I mean, essentially anything that isn't nailed down in San Francisco will be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> but to get like the parts and the stuff to fix this electric car is going to take six months. So what's he supposed to do in that six months? I mean, there's a reason. Like, if you try to uh, find a used truck. Like a, a Chevy or a Ford from the early 90s. With no chips? With no chips. Yeah. Good luck. Good yeah. luck. Because like mechanics know that's the easiest car to work on, the most reliable cars to work on. You don't have 19 computers. You got to, you know, yeah. plug them. What's going wrong with this? It's well, just and you don't have to error. wait for Wuhan to ship it in with a cup of bat soup yeah, either. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the whole switch to electric cars, which is still an unproven technology in the sense that the reason it's more expensive is because... You know, they haven't figured out a way to produce batteries without shipping them in from China, adding that cost to it, plus the cost of the battery itself. It's unproven, and expensive that's, technology. And that's, and that's just the basics. If you're going to go along with any kind of this radical, ridiculous agenda, you better make damn well sure that we can do it in this country. I don't care if it's environmental policy, tax policy, or anything else. If you're reliant on a superpower on the other side of the globe that has a stated intention making your country irrelevant... Uh, that's it. that's exactly it, it just doesn't work yeah i mean i think if you look around the world they're all preparing for a day in which america isn't number one hundred percent you know you look at like what's been going on in monetary policy yeah. with, with countries, countries are getting off dollar denomination getting off the dollar guys no it's i mean that's what's happened alarm bells but because of what you said economic suicide yes oh my god it's the, just depressing the, the problem is democrats aren't thinking that way you know, your average working class person thinks, how do I hold on to my job? How do I educate my kids? How do I retire? And Democrats are telling them, don't think about that. You need to think about the environment. You need to think about trans. You need to think about us. Your life doesn't matter. Yep. Our yep. ideas are all that matters. Being number two is okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's 100% it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway... the in that vein, 2024 is a an exceptionally important election year, not just yeah. because of all these policies, but everything else we've talked about over the last few weeks. And uh, Tim Scott, a uh, multiple-time guest on the program, has announced that he's launching an exploratory committee for president uh, in 2024. Interesting, right? I think we could kind of see this coming. Yeah. Uh, he went on a book tour. He's... In the off year, was doing a bunch of super PAC fundraising. Right. Um, and look, Tim Scott, as a person and as a politician, is an incredibly compelling figure. He's got an amazing story, which he shared here on the program. Uh, he's a thoughtful guy. Um, and he's going to have to figure out what his pathway is here. It may just be that he's different than everybody else in that he doesn't have a sort of America's best days are behind her type 
viewpoint because mm-hmm. that's not his viewpoint and that's kind of been the refrain that we've heard from a lot awful lot of candidates but you know this is starting to be a sticky situation he, he's he's incredibly inspiring and i think senator tim scott um you know is is a, a very compelling candidate what i don't understand is how we're now in the middle of april and he's launching an exploratory committee Dude, hey, if you're gonna run run Mm-mm. that's i mean that's my take on it if you're gonna run run just run just well, run. There is a tech- just run, but there's a technical component to it, and I, I, yeah, I've dealt I get with it. this. I've dealt with this question with many campaigns that we have managed over the years, and people want to do that exploratory committee thing because what happens is if you spend more than five thousand dollars promoting a potential candidacy, you are required to file with the FEC, and when you're required to file, you, you either run it or you're not. And so what these guys have often chosen to do is when they're not like ready to roll it all out, they do the exploratory committee because they've incurred costs that are going to begin to pile up over $5,000. And if you look at Tim Scott, he's traveled after the book tour, he's starting to travel everywhere. He's starting to do, you know, some, some media stuff. Uh, I guess that's probably the reason. I think there was a time in which that would work. This is just my opinion. Yeah. Love Tim Scott. I think there's a time in which that worked. I think we are far past that existence in politics. We don't live in a 24-hour news cycle. We live in a 24-second news cycle. Mm, yeah. Like, you're either in the conversation as a presidential candidate or a guy who's thinking about you it. You don't get the Chuck Hagel two announcements? Yeah, yeah. You just, you just, you just don't. <laughs> and I, I get everything from a filing standpoint and a cost standpoint and all of that. But dude, I, my sense of it is Tim Scott has been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, that's my two cents on it. Well, he's the thoughtful guy. And God he's bless not somebody you. who just God jumps. bless him. Right. And God Has bless him for doing it. Has there been an instance of someone having an exploratory committee and then saying, you multiple know what? times, not, not yeah. doing it? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think. Who is there anyone? I, I'm having a hard time conjuring it up. I think there's been, yeah, there's been some, some people who have done it. Didn't that guy, Matt Jones, do that in Kentucky? Uh, for yes. Senate? Yeah, for Senate. An exploratory committee. I feel like Fred Thompson did it. Yeah. Oh, Fred Thompson never went all. He never went all in, and but he had an exploratory committee, and and I mean he was like sort of a dark horse guy. Like people, a lot of people were talking about that in 2012, right? Yeah. 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 No. I mean, people were sort of excited about it until they weren't. Right. Well, you you guys have mentioned resources, and Tim Scott is certainly not without those. This Axio story says that his Senate campaign had nearly twenty-two million dollars on hand at the end of last year, and that's which just- is fully transferable. It is a federal. It's a federal entity to a federal entity. You know, the governors don't have that luxury. If you if a governor has however much money in a state uh, uh, filed entity, they can't just simply transfer it. Ah, and it, does, it only has to go. No, I think that's just in, in New York. That has to go upwards. Like if if you're a city council person, you can move it upwards to a mayor's race, but a mayor couldn't move it down to a city. Council Is that race. right? Yeah. Well, state laws are all different. I mean, I, I'm 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 not totally familiar with all of them, but I think this whole thing does open up a larger discussion: is what's the state of the race right now, mm-hmm. right? And there's no question that we've seen as Donald Trump has become more of the center of the conversation as he was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, his numbers have gone up, right? And he's done, <laughs> he did an interview with Tucker on Tuesday. I think we've got some audio. There's a couple of pieces of this that I think are pretty funny. He had an incredible... First of all, before we play this audio, this is 
President Trump talking about Xi and his meeting with Xi and his impressions of Xi. So I will, in China, I, I will just restart this audio, but it is, you're going to want to listen. He had an incredible, I, I'm not allowed to say it because it's very <laughs> impolite and very politically incorrect, a beautiful female interpreter. She was very beautiful. <laughs> Today, if you say it, they'll say, this is terrible. You're not allowed to say that. But she was very professional. She spoke every word for him. Very professional. Had another couple of them, too. But you know it's professional? She was there. They were having dinner. And he would come in and say hello. She would say hello. He wouldn't say any word. <laughs> he had another couple of them, too. I mean, that's Trump in a nutshell, I mean, right? Th that's the thing is, like, uh, there are very few people who I think would make a better dinner guest. Like, <laughs> no. who can tell a better story? This, this is the thing. This is Trump's strength is entertainment. Yeah. And if he is doing this for the next nine months, I like his chances. Well, it's 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 this thing that Trump does. And I, I think I've told you guys my, my theory on this for they a long reiterate time. reiterate it, though. It's good. But that Trump is spectator Trump. Yeah. That... He exists in two places at once as the figure in history, telling you the story about the thing that he did. But he's also your friend on the couch yep. who's like, you believe this shit? Yeah. Can you believe this? Making the observations. He's, he's observing it with you on your couch watching on TV while he's also in the space and time in which the thing is happening, <laughs> which is an, just an, an incredible, incredible thing. Cause it's just because the guy understands television. Yeah, I mean, just like typically a, a politician who's in that setting would say, and I, you know, I drove a hard bargain. These are the results right. that I got. It's like not in. He's not yeah, and he's talking about the drapes, right? Or he's talking <laughs> about the, the, hot interpreter? the interpreter, the hot interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys do you guys hear the dog thing? Oh, it's yes, so good. Yes. This is again. This is this is from his interview with Tucker Carlson. Tucker got just just gold out of the guy. Uh, Tucker. This is this is about the really the, there were dogs left behind in Afghanistan when the Biden, yeah, yeah. the Bosch withdrawal. The dark of night. They left the lights on. They left the dogs. By the way, you know the people they say left about the dogs? the dogs. They left the dogs. Everyone, you know the dog lovers, and you got a lot of them. I love dogs. You love dogs. But they left the dogs. People said, "What?" One of the first questions I got: "What did they do with the dogs? Mostly German shepherds. They left them. <laughs> I mean, they also left like a hundred billion dollars of artillery. But right. it was the dogs. The dogs. How sad. They left the dogs, and they left. Oh, by the way, all of our translators. Right. Yeah. And exactly. like all the human assets that we had on the ground, including right. Americans. But they left the dogs. A lot of people like the dogs. Ashbrook, how do you feel about that the dogs were left behind? Yeah, well, they're happy about I, it, right? You know, I haven't thought about that as much as I've thought about how clever Tucker was during this interview. And he was so good. There's one piece of audio we don't have. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. I'm sure you've seen it on Fox. But Tucker asked uh, President Trump about Gavin Newsom. Did you guys see oh, this? Yeah. And he said, oh, he's nice to me. I'm nice to him, whatever. You know, it's like and Tucker's like, huh? Yeah, yeah. So here, it's just it's so I have a, good. I have a very specific take about that. Is I think it's genius because here's the thing: is you know the night before or a couple of nights before on Tucker, he was basically calling out Gavin Newsom how apparent it is that Gavin wants to run for president. He's Gavin's spending on ads across the country already, being like, "Oh, look at me! I'm a, I'm a I'm a champion for for the left," and in those ads, he's specifically being like, "I'm out here." fighting for democracy against people like this. And then he'll have like a clip of Trump and then a clip of DeSantis and stuff. And so when Trump doesn't give him the soundbite of like, Gavin Newsom is my arch enemy. 
Newsom would put that ad up the same night. Oh, yeah. No. Same night. Good like Newsom, Cuddling you, up to him, it's unusable. You know Newsom's watching this being like, come on, say say, say you hate me. Say I'm a piece of garbage. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he won't and do Trump's it. like, no, I'm okay with that guy. Put that in an ad. Yeah, not going to work out great. <laughs> well, anyway, I, you know, look, Trump has basically doubled the size of his lead over mm-hmm. the second place uh, current occupant, Ron DeSantis, who's been doing a bunch of speeches, too. Um, and he's been, I saw him at Hillsdale College, I think, earlier this week. And uh, he's sort of fine-tuning things. You can th- mm-hmm. see how his message is sort of like being refined as it as it goes. I mean, he has a core message. Pretty much everybody knows who Ron DeSantis is. But again, when you're running for president, you don't deal with Florida issues, mm-hmm. right? You, you run for president on all national issues. Granted, he's got the background of being a congressman. He's familiar with federal issues, and so he's a little quicker on the uptake of all that stuff but it does take a bit of a transition mm-hmm. and I, I i thought this week he had a couple of you know pretty good lines he's leaning pretty heavily into republicans have forgotten how to win mm-hmm. right that's that's a good message for him which i think is pretty smart yeah right it's not going to have the same impact that it may have once he's an announced candidate and once he's on the big stage and he's doing the Iowa events, the New Hampshire events. But you can see these sort of lines coming out and audience reactions that he's road testing in real time. So, I, you know, I'm... I'm well, why do you think it won't have a good reaction once he's announced candidate? No, I think it will have a bigger reaction. Oh, it will, yeah. Yeah, okay. no, I, I just don't think that, that it has the same pop. Oh, yeah. No, right? I think that's 100% sure. So, yeah. But in, in many ways, everybody's talked about how it's such a bad deal that he's not an announced candidate. Look, arguments can go on both sides of that. I think, it, you know, my view is that it would have been incredible for him had he hit struck while the iron's hot right after that re-election campaign because his numbers were on fire. But if you're not going to do that and you wanted to, take some time to go road test grassroots audiences with all these various messages so when you hit you're like you know hitting five irons down the middle of the fairway that's kind of what it seems like he's doing here. I, I got a question so you know there's always that issue if like a candidate announces that they're running for president right after they notch a win like in, a, in the senate or look like you know, an opportunist yeah. yeah like does that actually affect voters in the sense of they're like what the hell this guy's now running for president it, it when may, he just got reelected. It may affect voters in your state if you intend to run for the office that you currently hold again. But that doesn't apply to Ron DeSantis, right? It, it, it's a big deal for senators, right, who, who are intending to run again if this doesn't work out. You know, they are up every six years— if you look at any senator who's thinking about running for Senate. Like the Rubio thing where, like, you know, Trump told him, just run, dude. Because he was, I think he was mad after he got, he got demolished in the, in the presidential primary. And then I guess he was going to, like, he even tweeted out. He was like, I've said for the millionth time I'm not going to run again. And then Trump tweeted, like, you know, little Marco, just run. And he, and then yeah, he but, for, yeah, but for, not but, exactly but, my memory but, of that. <laughs> but, to, but to your point, but to your point, but to your point, um, uh, you know, DeSantis, who is, you know, easily one of the most successful governors um, in his state's history, obviously won by a lot more than the guy he replaced. He, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the best arguments he has is electability. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking to regular people out there who voted for Trump twice, who are like, ah, you know, I like Trump, but I'm wondering if maybe somebody else. 
the reason why they're wondering if maybe somebody else is they want to beat the Democrats. Yeah, and we, so it's a hundred percent real. This is key. I think to look, his, his. This is key to his ability yes. to win. And I think to your, to your point, maybe it would have helped if he announced right after his his election a huge win. He has to re-crescendo, right? It's the hardest thing to do in politics. Ask Chris Christie about that. You have to re right. once you hit the crescendo of your popularity. In inevitably what happens is things go down people start shooting at you and to bring that plane back up is a difficult thing to do it's not impossible and a presidential announcement helps with an awful lot of that but that's what they're going through i think i don't disagree with anything you guys are saying and i think that message for desantis is incredibly strong but we just listened to two and then we read out a, a third from you know donald trump's quotes or or whatever and what you you get a sense of like the way that his his brain works and back to what i said about how he's spectator trump that yeah. he's having a meta conversation with the audience itself how do you debate donald trump well, in that scenario i i think that's... the only way and everybody's talked about on the republican side how this needs to be a narrow field basically a mano a mano in order to beat trump I don't know that DeSantis wins a mano a mano, particularly if they're operating off. And I've talked about this a lot. If they're operating on the assumptions that what everybody's polling from a primary field and what we've known is a primary field of Republicans is exists in 2022 and 2020, 18 and 16. If that's your universal Republicans in a mano a mano fight, you're not going to win that because you're not going to convince a bunch of Trump voters for not Trump. You're just not going to do that. Now, you can do a couple of different things. You can expand the field, right? You've got a huge number of lapsed Republicans who were previously primary voting Republicans who are not on the field right now. And you could go try to garner that and change what the universe of a primary electorate looks like. That would be one way to do it. Or, you know, you could, I mean. Okay, there, okay. Has, has All right, let's, just, let's just do this as a thought experiment. You're Ron DeSantis. You're on a debate stage. I'm Donald Trump. Okay. And the question to you is, why would you be a better presidential candidate than Donald Trump? And then I'll give you my response as Donald Trump. Yeah, what I would say is, if I was Ron DeSantis, what I would say is, everything that you campaigned on didn't get done. We were in a constant state of chaos. We made everything in this country revolve around you rather than the well-being of the people you said you represented. Okay. And ultimately, at the end of it, we got Joe Biden because you lost. And here's my response. we lost a House and we lost a Senate on your watch. And here's my response. Tears in his eyes. <laughs> Ron DeSantis begged me. He begged me. Folks, he begged me to endorse him. Barely beat that crackhead in Florida to be governor in 2018. He endorsed me. He endorsed me in 2020. You tell me. You tell me I did a bad job. Now you endorsed me in 2020, Ron DeSantis. I endorsed you. I was a good guy. And now you're going to run against me. So disloyal. This yeah, guy, if Ron DeSantis, so disloyal. And, and what I'm saying is, in that, he's having a meta conversation with the audience. Yeah. He's not even engaging. He's not talking about the stuff. You see what I'm about. saying? Yeah. And that's what I think everybody doesn't appreciate about yeah. the reality of what it is when you stand on a debate stage with Donald Trump. Yeah. It's not actually a conversation about 
the thing that you want to talk about. Yeah, so I've it's never entirely seen, I've asymmetrical. Never seen anyone else do that? No, so so, he can shift gravity in a room. It's, I've never. But seen I, I, else I, like I that. would like to see how he reacts to questions like, "Okay, you know, I get what you're saying. Where's the wall? I get what you're saying. Um, why, why was Fauci in charge of our country for so long?" Like, I would like to see him answer well, those so questions. I, I think that's right, fly. but this is the the primary point I was making before I got into the expand the map deal. Yeah is that I think that Ron DeSantis needs someone who is in Trump's orbit to talk about those things that Ashbrook just brought up, right? When Trump gets into, I've done all these wonderful things, I did, the economy was great, and and somebody was like, yeah, I was there. Like, if Mike Pence was like, yeah, I was there, you wanted to do this, and it didn't work. Right. And and they thankfully, we went in a different direction. Or, you know, it, it, that's what we've got with this particular primary that we've never had at least in the television era is you've got a former president with an administration filled with people who were in the room when he was making decisions who are also running for president maybe exactly maybe exactly Exactly. potentially exactly it gives them the ability to say we already have one with nikki haley we we've we've heard all this before. We've heard all this before, and I don't want to stop hearing it. I'd like to continue hearing it. And that's why I encourage you to start your own TV show, and I'm going to start building the wall. Like, I I really think that somebody playing by the set of rules that it, Donald Trump wrote. But Donald Trump let's just let's just be honest. Yeah. Donald Trump has written a new set of rules for Republican primary politics, <clears throat> and if these candidates are playing. By his rules, they're going to get smoked. It's going to be a very, very different circumstance my, 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 my than res- it was yes, when but, Jeb Bush was asking people to clap and when Marco my, Rubio I, couldn't stand. I, up. I I agree. I think what you, the one thing I would I would say to that, and I think is underappreciated, is that debating Donald Trump is like boxing with a shadow. Like the rules, as you're saying, the rules that are established for Donald Trump are not actually the rules that he's forced to. He doesn't com- have rules. Comply, comply by. And in fact, in the minds of the voters, they're going to hold you, Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or whoever, to a standard that they're not going to hold Donald Trump to. So it's totally asymmetric. Totally. Like, I think I think anybody who's in this primary has to acknowledge that it can't just be, oh, you should have fired Fauci. Well, what he's going to say is like, well, none of you have been in the Resolute desk. Like, I had the job. You didn't have the job. You're going to hate it now. You all endorsed me. You wanted me to be president in 2020. What happened? Yeah. You see that, what I'm saying? That's the thing is, I think, you know, what hasn't been discussed and is a tremendous strength for Trump is whenever someone tries, you know, just saying that this is what I would do, this is how I would do it if I were president, he can just say, I actually was president. Everyone here, close your eyes and remember what 2017 was like for you, what 2018 was like for you, what 2019. Those were the best economic times, some of the best economic times this country has ever seen. Well, yeah, but it cuts both ways. And back to Holmes's point, um, 2018 wasn't a great year for Republicans. No, no. Yeah, we lost the House. Yeah. It was historical losses. Historic losses. This is where the electability argument comes in because we've lost three elections in a row. Right. 2018, 2020, and 2022. But but I think, I mean, look. We got the House. We have established. So I will say 2022, getting the House, and we're already seeing the effect of it. Yeah, no, no. It was an underperformance. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to say that it's nothing. I'm just saying we were hoping for more. Sure. And sure. and with Democrats talking about trannies and every ridiculous thing that they campaign on, we should have won more. I think that the thing that we all agree on and and Duncan, I think you articulated it perfectly, is Donald Trump is a impossible out. And everything that everybody's come up with to this point 
not going to get it done. Yeah, I just think everybody's playing like like simple math. Yeah. And in fact, it's like complicated. Well, can you imagine like if your theory of the case is that you're going to play nice with Donald Trump and you're going to operate in the confines of the primary electorate as it's established and you're going to convince people who have a 75 to 80% approval rating of Donald Trump to not vote for Donald Trump? So so and this can you is imagine, so you imagine th- thinking that. So so right. this is where I get to the Vivek stuff. I don't know if you guys saw any of this recently, but yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a brilliant human being, very brilliant human being. And but if you followed his campaign for president, I don't know if you would really even call it that at this point, because he's basically functioning as the press secretary of Donald Trump. I'm sorry, but it's true Mm. based on what he's done in Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks. He's basically tried to convince every other presidential candidate to defend Donald Trump. He's done, you know, videos from the back of cars calling out other candidates to support Donald Trump more than he's supporting Donald Trump. He's um, he's got a podcast now where he's claiming that Ron DeSantis didn't do enough anti woke stuff that he's the guy who owns the woke stuff and he's being copied by Ron DeSantis. If you see that thing in National Review that 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 Charles Cook did on on Vivek, it's uh it's really well written, um, attacking him on, on you know, Vivek on some of this stuff. Sadly, a lot of it's true. Like, I, I, what I, to your point, Holmes, is he running to be president? Like, I think that is a legitimate question to be asked of the guy right now. Is he actually running to win the race for president if, his, if the, the cornerstone of his campaign is how great Donald Trump I is? I think what happens an awful lot of times in these campaigns is you get overconsulted. And people look, look, the worst political consultants in the world are the ones that have the greatest longevity in this game because they never take any risks. They never look outside of the box. They view poll numbers as static, not dynamic. They never look at arguments that can push and move people because that's not what the numbers say. And you can never lose your job if you're playing to the 51% as it looks on a piece of paper. Right. Right. And I think if you look at what he's doing, you look at a primary electorate with a 75, 80% approval rating of Donald Trump. And you're reinforcing that Donald Trump is is the best person for them and somehow they're going to choose you over that guy? Yeah. Like, what what is the strategy That's what You can't, like, the, no, no Republican in this primary can think, because th- this mistake was made by a ton in 2016 of like, I'm going to draft behind Trump. And then some, you know. Oh, Trump! Uh, Trump's somehow, gonna he's gonna know, trip over that's his what shoes. They all did. Yeah, all everyone thinks this is gonna happen. We're like, I'm right. just gonna draft behind Trump. Right. And then magically, and well, that's Donald gonna Trump be one on one. That was Ted's. That was Ted and Marco's big plan. Right. Right. Hug Trump. Hug Trump. Make sure that every time you ask him something about Trump, it's like, oh no, I like Donald, but let me tell you about the serious issues. Right. What happened? He blew the doors off those guys right up until Marco got to the point where he, you know. Christie crushed him and then he had to throw Hail Marys at Donald Trump. He was like, okay, thanks for playing. And Donald Trump is smart. He knows how this is going. And I mean, the guy's got a huge lead for a reason. He knows his position in this primary and he's not sending out truths attacking Vivek. No. You see what I'm saying? He's sending out truths attacking DeSantis because it's, and I said this the other week on the show, it's like politics is really simple. Like you attack the thing you're most afraid of. And yeah. it's like he is most afraid that Ron DeSantis will announce this campaign. He's not afraid that 
But it seems Vivek is going to do some Jedi mind trick on the electorate and say, I support Donald Trump and also this Vivek guy is better. But but the but the reality of presidential politics is not dissimilar from NFL football. When Tom Brady steps on the field, he's not competing against his third string quarterback. He's competing (laughs) against the defense. Brutal. And if the defense is up (laughs) that's a heavy If the defense is up to their is is up to it, they can stop him. Yeah. If they're not, they can't. My only suggestion is that the defense needs to think of some new schemes because the straight line attacks on, you know, normal candidates for office don't work on Donald Trump. The and playing nice a, doesn't. The guy's mean. a magician, man. He's a magician. He's a magician. And he just eats his stuff for breakfast. Right. 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 I mean, this is like he can't wait. Right. He can't wait to have these conversations in yes. public. I mean, look at him. He looks as confident as he's ever looked right now. Dude, yeah. he is an incredible entertainer. He I, like it, it. It cannot be emphasized enough. The guy knows how to work a crowd. He knows how to work a television audience. He knows how to work a studio audience, and he knows how to work over people who are standing on stage next to him. If are if any other Republicans want to defeat this guy in a primary, they are absolutely going to have to lock horns with him right. and demonstrate yep. and, and, that and they to the, can do it. And to the point you made earlier, Ashbrook, like that is the debate and the conversation that if you're a Republican voter in this country, you should want to be had. We have to we have, have it. To have it. We, got, we have to have it. So the one exception to all of this, and again, this stuff is not getting like mainstream stuff at this point. Like, there's not a lot of news pickup. We're still warming up in the presidential field. But Nikki Haley's campaign sent out a memo this week from from Betsy Ankeny, who's... Man, she is so smart. Well, that's the thing. So so the point that I was going to make about this is that she's quietly assembled a team that are real. It's a real team. Like, these are real, solid professionals. And I think she spent the last two years pretty well, if you consider when she came on this show, uh, every question we asked, there was no like hedging. Mm. There was no six of one, half dozen of another. She had she had like authentic views on all this stuff. And it seems to me like if you read this memo, she lays out her candidacy, but then she takes shots at Trump, takes shots at DeSantis. They're the only campaign at this point that looks like they have a plan and are executing upon a plan. Now, where that leads them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, you know, can she get to a point where there's enough national attention, which she clearly has, to make a difference in a state like Iowa, New Hampshire? You know she's going to make some noise in South Carolina mm-hmm. just because she was a popular governor from there. But does she get into that conversation? And if you look at these polls right now, and there was one out this week. Um, she's starting to split that DeSantis vote, right? And it's because she's just got a plan and she's executing it and she's going out and she's doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who thought that she was going to be an also ran, which I think is probably like 80% of the people who do this for a living when right. she started. Right. I think people were like, oh, that's cute. Like, I'm glad that she's doing that. Like, this is a fun thing. But let's tell me about the people who actually have a shot at winning. Anybody who thought she was going to be an also ran, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, she's going to have a place in this primary. She's going to have to be navigated around. And if people continue to screw around and not figure out a strategy to try to win, she's going to keep 
picking up ground. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just... And it goes back, Holmes, to what you were saying about, like, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat here. It's not just about appealing to the electorate that's static as it exists. Like, you can expand the electorate. You can get people back in the primary process. That, But, like, you are, you don't do that by playing it safe. Like, you don't do that. You don't inspire it's people. It's not right. a safe job. <laughs> the job is the most audacious job in the history of humankind. Right. You have to be the most audacious human right. character in order to even compete for and, the job. And, and the reason for our listeners, the reason why... I mean, I don't think I, I don't know if I speak for everyone. I think I do in this. But the reason why I think that is important is we want the most people in this country excited about this process yeah. for the Republican Party. Yeah. Because the, the more people that are engaged in it, the more, more people that are voting it, the more people that are paying attention to it, to the debate, mm-hmm. to, to all of it, ultimately is better for our electoral chances Next and, November. And like, it expands the map. Right, right. If you look at 2018, if you look at 2020, if you look at 2022, we don't have it. We don't have 20, we don't have 51% of the American electorate. You need suburban Republicans who were 65 35 in 2014 to be at a 55 45 split in 2024 mm-hmm. in order to win the states that are necessary to post an electoral count victory. Yeah. Like you need that. Right. right. You need the stuff that the rock solid Trump supporters who are came out in droves in rural areas who voted Democrat their entire lives, who showed up for the first time to support Donald Trump because they believe in him. You need them too. Yeah. Republicans right? need the, the point you're making. Republicans need both. You need both. You have to have suburban voters. You have to have the rural Trump voters. You cannot win without both. And that ties back to the you point that I was trying to make both. about like the mano y mano and Republicans think that we just need a one-on-one thing, eventually you do. Mm-hmm. But at the outset, you need to go try to grab as many constituencies as you can and get them involved in this process. What saddens me about what you were saying about Vivek, he had a new constituency. Right. He was ta- When he came if on the show- If you could bring new energy into the party. When he came on the show, his theory of the case was brilliant. Right. And it had the capacity of motivating- incredible amounts of people in their 20s and 30s conservatives to go out and look different as a republican right and uh, like he's faded from that for sure but you need nikki haley to go out and re-inspire suburban women who voted republican for 30 years and all of a sudden decided this party's not for me i think the fundamental mistake we made after 2016 is we made the exact same mistake that the democrats made after 2012 after 2012 with barack obama the democrats said Demographics are destiny. Yeah. And they're like, this is inevitable. Battleground Texas. Remember that? Remember remember. how they were, they were going to yeah, win yeah. Texas. They were just looking at the numbers, looking at demographics. And they're like, well, this is over because Obama did it in 2012. And we looked at Trump 2016 and we're like, well, we're only a working class party now. Totally. Like, And, and, and that'll win everything because you saw the numbers that he, dude, he ran up the score in the panhandle in Florida. And you look at places across the Midwest and say, wow, that is incredible. And we all forgot that he was running against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, we forgot that, and we all sort of swept that under the rug, and but we're the, like, "This, this is now the future." And 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 so we overread Trump twenty sixteen the same way that the Democrats overread Obama in twenty twelve. Obama is like this sing, singular greatest campaign for president in like the history of modern politics in America. Like the guy, the guy is such an incredible singular feature of American politics that he was able to inspire people. The idea that the Democrats were going to be able to like 
had this cascade of success. Like Bob Casey's not right. getting that done. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and we right. made this same mistake. All of us did after 2016 and reading too much into the tea leaves and saying like, you're not, this Donald is the Trump. future. Right. And so it goes back to your thing. I'm on the mano a mano and it's like, who's going to be the MAGA champion? Is it going to be Ron DeSantis or is it going to be Donald Trump? And it's like, no, see, the reality is it has to be that and a lot, lot more. Because in 2012 or I'm sorry, in 2022, what we learned is that is not enough. Not enough. Right. It's not enough. It's not enough to be right. just endorsed by Donald Trump and be a name on a ballot and say, I can win statewide. It's not going to work. You also have to inspire more people. Totally right. Smug, as you're looking out like grassroots and, you know, the folks that you talk to, like, where do you think people stand right now? I mean, I think. The, the, you know, I've said it before is I would love to see people just jump in and, and, and start running for president. You know, like, yeah. you know, thank God, at least we got an exploratory committee at Tim Scott. But there's all these folks who are like, are they are they not going to run? Are they are they not? And the longer that, like, you know, you are this like nebulous figure not soaking up national attention. You start to become irrelevant. Yeah, you become irrelevant. And, and, and Trump further monopolizes the attention and, and like. At what point are you going to jump in? Well, the train have already left the station. A right. good and a very good point on that is like a friend of the program, Mike Pompeo, when he was here, and I said that he articulates foreign policy for a domestic audience better than anybody in our party. I totally believe that. He was amazing at it, and like we need that. Yeah, you're not gonna. That's not out there right now. Like no. Nikki's got an element of it, but like the, the, it's not out there. Trump did a way better job on Tucker. Then we've heard anybody else talk about foreign policy at this yeah. point, right? So that's an element of the of the debate that needs to be in because there too. people are hungry for it, dude. We come out of twenty twenty two after twenty twenty disappointing election results, and if you're your rank and file Republican voter across the country, you're like, give me other answers. What can we do better? Yeah. It can't just be, oh gosh, the Democrats have this just like impenetrable early vote machine and will never win and it's doomerism that's not reality the reality is we have to have a robust debate with a lot of ideas from a lot of candidates and come up with a candidate that can win well i yeah. think totally, I, totally. I think i think you've you've hit the nail on the head of one thing that's actually pretty interesting because the only thing that republicans have heard out of trump or by and large republicans have heard out of Trump uh, over the last few years is about the 2020 election and recriminations and what was stolen, what wasn't. St uh, if, you know, remembering 2016, Trump talked about a lot of subjects. He talked about foreign policy. He Notice he's not he talking about any of that shit policy. right now. He's not. And, and what all of his candidates did and they all lost. Yeah, he's what, like, okay, well, let's go. What, what this field, what this field has, has not experienced that the 2016 field did uh, is Trump talking about the things that are on the minds of your average voter? And, you know, obviously for a period, the 2020 election and, and you know, hurt feelings was on the mind of your average voter. Right now they're concerned about a whole lot more than that. And all of a sudden Trump is meeting those topics. Because he's, allow because he's allowed to, to the point that we were making, because he's allowed to. I think if Donald Trump is... If Tucker asked him about, do you really think that the 2020 election was stolen? And can you provide me some evidence for that? He would have taken an hour mm -hmm. talking about that. But he didn't ask him about that. Mm -hmm. And in large part, he didn't ask him about that because the field hasn't pushed it. The field looks at these things statically, mm -hmm. right? They look at they look at these poll numbers and say, like, 
well, the majority of Republican voters kind of think Trump makes a good point on that. But it's textured. The electorate looks at that and they're like, we know damn well that there's a vast majority of people in a general electorate that thinks that's Looney Tunes. And we know based on results in the election cycle that it's deadly for guys to carry that water. And yet they just don't, right? We just don't push that. And I think if you're running, like you have to have the audacity to try to be president. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it. If you're going to be embarrassed, be embarrassed. But you're on the big stage now. And you cannot, cannot run as Trump light and beat Donald Trump. He will wax your ass. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Well, it was a little more serious than an average Thursday. It was a good one, though. But I think we got some stuff done. I think it's a valuable episode. Me too. I think think we did some good stuff. All right. I mean, if I can say so myself, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to the Minions, uh, and thank you to all our five stars. We always appreciate it. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.